That is creature o'clock. So ring that buzzer. It sounds like a lion roar. Roar. And open the door to join us for the 25th meeting of the Animal Fan Club. I'm Epizoic Endive Mike. I'm bloated pufferfish Meredith. I'm Supreme Seahorse Jesse. We meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the Dalmatian Station. <laughs> To talk about our favorite animals. What we lack in expertise, we make up for in unbridled enthusiasm and childlike wonder. Wow. So saddle up a miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom Animalia. <laughs> oh, yeah. See that sound you're hearing, audience, clubbies? is our special Supreme Seahorse guest, Mr. Jesse Seahorse Kissel. (laughs) (laughs) I was so off on that intro today. I'm full of giggles. I can't help it. No, it's an exciting moment. I have to say, Jesse gives good face when performances are happening. (laughs) Jesse is a good person to make eye contact with. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. That was amazing. So I guess we should explain why jesse is here and how we know him and all of that stuff that intro is really lovely wow (laughs) meredith wrote it i felt right there with the animals that's the idea we're all here together in the dalmatian station that's the name of our clubhouse i got that i'm currently in the dalmatian station eastern outpost i guess jesse would be in the dalmatian station hk yes so in addition to jesse we also have another creature joining us today. Do you want to introduce him? This is Benji. This is a bodaciously beautiful Benji. Oh, Oh, he is bodaciously beautiful. I've never met him in person, but I see pictures all the time and I'm such a fan. He loves belly rubs. Clearly. Oh. What breed is he? He's like an Australian shepherd. He's a mini Aussie shepherd. Mm. Oh. He has the most beautiful piercing blue eyes. Well, let, well, yeah, we'll, but we need to we'll save, save this. this. We're going to save this. <laughs> we'll come back to Benji. I don't know. It was an exciting week in animals for me here, Meredith. I mean, there's so much social media happening. We have a tortoise and Labrador video on Instagram. The aardvarks that you sent me, yin and yang, at the Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, yes. Fiona was dancing at the Cincinnati Zoo. And then I am deep in this curiosity stream life right now, and I'm watching a lot of documentaries about prehistoric animals and plants and things. That's fun. Oh, it's really fun. And there's this show called First Man okay. on Curiosity Stream, and it was talking about these parolas, which are ancestors of modern humans. And it was all these actors portraying these sort of primitive great apes the you know proto humans yeah jumping around on the ground and everything and wearing their costumes it was like watching an acting exercise you know it was really very enjoyable performances i have to say interesting yeah is that like another kind of like you know how there's like a breed of actor or maybe it's like a a stage in any actor's career where they have to like do dramatic reenactments for like true crime procedurals sure and then you have to move through the next stage of like caveman acting 
Yeah, it goes procedurals, caveman, and then the Fast and the Furious franchise, generally. <laughs> but it is one of those things where it's like, just the performance is really impressive, I have to say. But it's also like, how do you show that to your friends and family and be like, look at all my hard work. Yeah. Here I am, jumping around, wearing a monkey suit, and hooting and hollering. And How much do you think they make for that? Probably scale. Yeah. <laughs> monkey scale. Meredith, I also saw something on the internet that some sea stars, your echinoderm friends, they can yeah. have a birth defect, it said, and appear square so that <gasps> instead of looking like a delicious sea cookie, they look like a delicious sea cheese it Mmm, salty. Salty indeed. That's weird. I've been craving Cheez-Its for weeks. I have been too. That's like a quarantine food, but I'm afraid to buy it because I'll just eat the whole box. Same. Yeah. Like in a day. This is Benji's favorite throw toy. It's a Christmas tree. Yeah, we're still in Christmas here. I love that. Yeah. This is episode 25, so in that sense, it's Mm. like Christmas. It's Christmas-like. I hid it from him because he's really obsessed with this. Uh Uh-huh. After we got it, like maybe December 30th, Uh (laughs) I was cleaning out a a closet in quarantine and there it was and he went. (laughs) So it's now back in our lives. Back in the rotation. Very fun. I've also been cleaning my closets. Somebody suggested that as a good book for people of a certain age who have not yet come out as whatever. Tidying up your closet. Organizing your life before coming out. Oh. Wait, that is a book? It could be. Or that's like a book idea. It's a book idea. That's fun. Tidying up your closet. Just come out already. (laughs) It's too late. It's 2020. (laughs) The world's ending. It's going to really find out anyways. Get it over with. Alexa knows. She can hear what you're doing. She sure does. My whole house is Alexa. That's scary. It's hard when we watch Shit's Creek because they'll say like, Alexis. And then she'll be like, I don't know that one. The worst is when I'm in a hotel on the road and I talk to Alexa who's not there. Because <laughs> Alexa turns on everything in my house. Yeah. So I go, Alexa, turn on the lights when I walk into the hotel. And it's like, crickets. <laughs> <laughs> You get really programmed to do it. Sorry. Oh, there she goes. There she goes. Shut up, bitch. Meredith, did you have an exciting week in animals? Um, not really. We do have, it seems like there's some birds. I think there's sparrows that I think they're building a nest like right under our air conditioner. So sometimes if you're out like sitting on the couch early morning, it's just mayhem, like birdie tweet mayhem going on. Mm, That's nice. Yeah, it's just, it's weird. The bird activity is strong right now. It's spring. So we have these, also we have these like cables that kind of run past like our kitchen window. And I was in the kitchen and a starling like flew up and just grabbed on horizontally to this cable and it was just like swinging holding on to this cord like in front of my window he was just like hey that really made me happy he knew he was like bird people live here they'll like this yeah they know the bird people yeah so i don't mind that they're building their nest and honestly they get most of their tweeting done in the morning like the earlier morning that's nice so it's not really disruptive in the evening or anything when we're utilizing that space more extensively. So, you know, tweet away, little birdies. I love I love you, and you're welcome. My home is your home. My nest is your nest. Yeah. The headquarters of Class A's Enterprises. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it seems like Jesse is anxious to get into 
these animals today. Yeah, I think we can hit it. Jesse, are you excited? Do you have any idea what to expect? Absolutely not. This is perfect. <laughs> Great. No clue. Well, I guess, Meredith, let's kick it off with the taxonomy cheer. Let's do it. Ready? Okay. Taxana you. Taxana we. Taxana who. Taxana me. Kingdom. In Amelia, they all got on the ark. Phylum. Cordata. It's a structuring device. Class. Actinopterygy. They're bony and they're raffined. Order. Signathiforms. Tubular mouths, bros. Family. Signathidae. Fused jaws. Genus. Hippocampus. It's not just a part of the brain. Species. Hippocampus cuda. It's an underwater nay. It's the common seahorse. Oh, so that was all about the seahorse. That was all about the (laughs) seahorse. Wow. Can you do that again? Sure. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who. Texana me. Kingdom. In Amelia, they all got on the ark. Phylum. Cordata. It's a structuring device. Class. Actinopterygy. They're bony and they're raffined. Order. Signathiforms. Tubular mouths, bros. Family. Signathidae. Fused jaws. Genus. Hippocampus. It's not just a part of the brain. Species. Hippocampus cuda. It's an underwater nay. It's the common seahorse. Ah, what's Ray Finned? Okay, we'll talk about that. That's a great opening. Great way to get into this. It's a very popular class. It is. Yeah, so that whole thing we did is like what's known as the taxonomic rank. So every species is kind of classified according to this system. So generally with these things, I like to go through and kind of talk about taxonomic facts. Tax facts. Okay. Tax facts. Tax facts. We've actually encountered this class of animals before. They're the mm. actinopterygy. They're the ray-finned fishes. Whoa. Yeah. Including the seahorse has ray fins. Yes. Right. They sure do. Also, so the animal I've done before was the wolf eel. That's also part of the ray-finned fish crew. Ow. Blub, blub. Yeah. <laughs> Ow, bloop, bloop, bloop. So we go down to signathiforms, and this is, I think, referring to, like, seahorses and pipefish, I think, was the other the other member pipe of that fish. crew. And they've got these, like, tubular little mouths. And then we move into the family, and then that's why I said they have fused jaws. So these seahorses and pipefish, they can't, like, open their mouths, really. Their jaws are fused shut. Oh. How do they eat? We'll talk about that momentarily. <laughs> This is exciting. <laughs> we'll get there. You're asking all of the right questions, Jesse. Every this is perfect. right question. And then we get to genus, which is so interesting. This is the hippocampus, which we know yes. as a part of the brain, right? Anthony just told me this. I'm, I'm not this smart. But it's the part of the brain that, like, controls, like, proprioception. So, like, how you orient yourself in space, kind of move through oh. space. That's controlled by the hippocampus. Okay. So, actually, hippocampus, hippo means horse. In Greek. And then campos means sea monster. Oh. Hippocampus literally means like horsey sea monster. (laughs) Well, the part of the brain that is the hippocampus is actually, if you take it out, extract it from the brain, it looks, it's like shaped like a seahorse, which is why it's called the hippocampus. Isn't that weird? There's a seahorse in each of us. There is. There is a seahorse in each of us. That's true. That's really sweet. 
That's very sweet. The hippocampus is also like a mythological creature that you can see where it'll be like horse from the belly button up, but from the waist down, it's like all fish. Like in Harry Potter, the guy who's half horse, half whatever. Yeah, it's like a mermaid's friend is a seahorse yeah like a mermaid may ride in on a seahorse a hippocampus do they have seahorses in aquaman i don't know i haven't seen seen that any of those it's a horrible movie yeah well it's really just an excuse to look at jason momoa i'll take it but it was underwater like half of it they were like burning piles of cash i'm sure they were riding seahorses i'm gonna have to watch it and fast forward that now that gives you something to do today i'll take it quarantine project (laughs) (laughs) talking about the hippocampus cuda that's this particular species this is the common seahorse Mm. and so these guys i think there's 45 different species within the genus of hippocampus so there's 45 different species of seahorses whoa but i guess 46 if you count the jesse species the onlyest species of seahorse the jesse the superior so we didn't i guess we should talk about this like why Jesse needed to come on to talk about the seahorse in particular, because this is just like a very long running inside joke that goes back to our school days at. Um, this can't believe it's still going. It's CCM. so going. Yeah. So back yeah. in our master's That's like degree 10 days. Years ago. It's like one of those things I'm not completely sure of how it all began. I think it had to do with like. Jesse, you and I like saw each other down the hall from one another. We just started running towards each other, making this like weird like little motion. And somehow, like the seahorse thing came out of that. I don't know. That might be my own spin on it. But well, there was an internet video going around at the time, and the legend was that like this dude had done some acid and then had been locked in a closet and just recorded all this rambling. And then they oh, put like yeah. an animation of a speaking lizard. And at one point in that video, he says, "What's up, seahorse?" horse so it's likely oh wow i don't remember that yeah well i think that anthony tells it that anthony said to jesse what's up seahorse and jesse responded with the tongue motion where you you kind of open your mouth like as if you have a fused jaw and then you stick your tongue in and out and you (laughs) i mean would you say that you phonate a little bit Yeah. I think it's better without the noise. I think it's better without the voice. Yeah. So it's just kind of the gentle sound of the tongue flicking in and out of the mouth is the concept of the seahorse. Without the noise, then it it just, it's so gross. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty gross. See, I thought it was like, Meredith, we were in all those really tough music theory classes and we were just getting so or music history history classes it was ragtime we're getting so bored that i would look over you and just be like (laughs) but it could be anthony too i don't remember yeah i think it all happened at once but then yeah i think jesse really is the one that picked up the mantle and carried it forward (laughs) but there was one point where i was standing talking to jesse we were doing i think it was that um out of this world or something and we were standing in that hallway talking through stuff that we needed to talk through and it was right before the history class and all of a sudden Meredith and Brianna show up and Jesse stops mid-sentence and starts seahorsing and kind of like shimmies on over to them and then they go into the classroom and I'm just standing in the hallway like okay cool I guess my note session's over (laughs) oh man this is great the last time I saw Anthony at the public I just went like in front of everyone at rehearsal 
It's insane. That's how that goes. Jesse, you and I have done it across stages to each other, literally around the world at this point. Like we went to Japan and we seahorsed each other across the stage in front of thousands of people. You were playing on Broadway. Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. On stage too, not even in a pit, just seahorsing each other. On stage. We don't even call you Jesse, really. Like Anthony will be like, oh, I got to go have coffee coffee with the seahorse today <laughs> my mom calls jesse seahorse i love it but i call everyone else seahorse too now right. yeah. well it's like i always tell people like we are all seahorses but jesse is the supreme seahorse we all have a little seahorse inside of us <laughs> yeah true. who knew and they're like what does that mean is that some sort of gay terminology is that like an otter like what does that mean like what's this new gay terminology it's like it's no. Not a gay thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so good. Okay, sorry, we had to get that out of the way because we did. None of this made any sense otherwise. Still doesn't. That really clarified things. Um, <laughs> okay, so getting back, these guys like to hang out in their like the Indian Pacific Ocean region, so like Persian Gulf, Australia, up to Japan, like over to Hawaii. They like to live in, like, shallower waters. They're not very good swimmers at all because they've just got, like, one tiny little dorsal fin on their back. It's just, like, a tiny little fin, so they don't have the best, like, locomotion or steering or anything like that. So what they do is with their prehensile tails, they'll, like, hook onto a piece of seagrass or coral and just kind of, like, hang out. Like, yeah, just kind of swaying with the water. That's how they do it. They're not very good swimmers. At all. So you kind of see them like floating around all awkward when they aren't attached to any seagrass. Okay. So these guys, the common seahorse, they're from like 17 to 30 centimeters. It's actually a little bigger than I expected. How how many inches is that? It's a great question. So 17 is about like seven inches. Okay. Wow. And then 30 centimeters is like closer to like 11. Whoa. That's like eggplant size. Yeah. And these are real inches, not internet inches. Whoa. That's huge. I know. I thought they were like... Little baby bibs. I think some are really tiny. Yeah. Jesus. It's like an eggplant flailing around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like an English cucumber, really. They're like slender. (laughs) Exactly. And they're called seahorses, obviously, because they've got that kind of like long snout, like a horse, like, what a long face. You could ask that to a seahorse as well. Um, And they're kind of yellowish, brownish, speckled. Oh, they also... Okay, so we know coronets as like trumpets yes all the different species will have some different variation on what's called a coronet which kind of looks like a little crown on their head Mm. so they're like king seahorses it's very sweet and i kind of found this interesting that there's like some parallels with the anteaters because i feel like they have similar mouths so remember how anteaters have these like tubular mouths and then the mouth doesn't open very wide at all Right, we just got this tiny little opening. And it's very similar for the seahorse. They just have a little opening at the end. (laughs) And then also, like, the lesser anteaters, they also have prehensile tails. So they can, like, wrap their tails. Do they have tongues like anteaters? No, there's no tongues. And so to get to your question, Jesse, about how they eat, they just kind of use a suction motion. So it's like... So you get a close-up on oh. seahorses, and they're just constantly sucking. Because <laughs> yeah. they eat a lot. They eat, like, five times a day. And so wow. they're always sucking up little, like, tiny crustacean, like, 
plankton, tiny little shrimp out of the water that happened to float by. I think a good name for a seahorse is like Dyson or Hoover, (laughs) you know, another major vacuum brand. Mm -hmm. Remember Auric vacuums? They're supposed to be like eight pounds. So like super light, but super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I would name my seahorse Auric. Okay. (laughs) So now we get to my favorite part of any animal exploration, which is the reproductive habits. (laughs) And we all know that Seahorses have a pretty interesting, <laughs> pretty interesting reproductive habits. Because remember the. I mean, I've seen the memes. <laughs> Anthony would send them memes of the sperm coming out of them like a fountain. That's not sperm. Those are fully. They're just miniature seahorses. So they they they've already hatched inside Daddy's egg pouch, and he's just using muscular contractions to shoot them out. Like literally, like shoot them out. Are they asexual or, or the man carries? They're male and female. They're not like hermaphroditic like our snail friends from last week. Yeah. Which was a whole other Jesus. journey. That was quite something. Hit me with your uh, love dart. Hit me with your love dart. Okay. So let's just talk about similar to snails. They actually do have like a multi-step like courtship process, which is so funny. And whoever wrote this Wikipedia article really leaned into this because it was some funny writing. Okay. I have some quotes that I pulled directly from Wikipedia. There are four phases of courtship, the one being the initial phase, and it begins just after dawn, and they engage (laughs) in the pre-dawn dance. And this is where a male will approach a female, and he'll brighten, like he'll literally, his whole like body will brighten up, and then he begins to quiver, followed by the female doing the same thing. So she too will brighten and quiver. And then at this point, it's very cute. They attach to the same piece of seagrass or coral. They share a blade and then they just kind of spin around. And then the second phase is called pointing and pumping. (laughs) 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 And this is where the lady will lean toward the male and he leans back. So he does like a little hard to get moment. And then he starts pumping. And I'm not sure what that means, but we can all use our imaginations. <laughs> at this point, the third stage, this is called the pointing, pointing phase. So I guess they both point at each other. I think this is where they like extend their heads and kind of like, I don't know. I couldn't find any pictures of what this looks like, but they both point towards each other. And then the male will swim away and then he will come back. At which point we go into the rising and copulation. So the final stage. The two of them will face together. And this is at which point the male starts pumping water through his egg pouch. And this is my favorite quote from this Wikipedia article. He, quote, opens the egg pouch to display its emptiness. Whoa. (laughs) So weird. So what they do is then after this point, after he displays the emptiness, they both let go of the seagrass they're attached to. And they rise together, snout to snout. And then during this rise, the female inserts her ovipositor. So the thing that she uses to kind of shoot the eggs into the egg pouch is called the ovipositor. And a lot of different species and animals and creatures have ovipositors. Like we talked about them with butterflies. and The alien and aliens. Yes. So she inserts her ovipositor into his pouch and then that's where they develop. So you look, you see pictures of male seahorses that look visibly pregnant. Like they've got like a huge prego belly. So it's totally reversed. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're male and female, but they have opposite responsibilities. Yeah. And the male carries them. It's crazy. It seems like the male still produces the sperm and the lady still produces the eggs. Yeah. Okay. But in terms of egg management. He's like a kangaroo. 
Kind of, in a sense. But if the male had the pouch, that's a that's a reasonable analogy. It's a little different because they're, you know, eggs and they're not viviparous, you know, but that's a just whole separate thing entirely. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to get into that now. Yeah, the um, Parisians, they have it tough. So the eggs actually hatch in his pouch and then essentially he'll just push them out via muscle contractions as we've all we've seen. We've seen that. And it's a spew. That is a meme like I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just spews them out like and but it's if you look closely they're all just tiny little seahorses and they just kind of <laughs> out into the water and there's like no parental stage. Like they're out and then they're proud. They're on their own. But listen to this. This is crazy. Only 0.5% of these eggs that are pushed out survive to adulthood. Wow. That's not good odds. So no. apparently for some fishes this is actually a very high number. A high survival rate because seahorse actually they can um they push out like I think they were saying like the lowest number would be five seahorses up to over like twenty five hundred. So Whoa. when you're laying that many eggs at once, I guess. Well, no, it's more than laying them. They're 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 he's giving out twenty five hundred real people, real, real people. seahorses, <laughs> real live seahorses. Yeah, so I think because of that volume, the species can afford to have a really low uh, survival rate, I guess. It's very interesting. I have to say that's a really big range and that that seahorse that gave birth to five or carried five eggs is a slacker, if I'm honest. Right? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know if those are like larger seahorses or if those are like really tiny ones. I don't know. I didn't really look into it mm-hmm. any more closely than that. But a couple more things. So like our pangolin friends, these guys are also used prominently in Chinese medicine. And they're meant to cure impotence or bedwetting or to induce um, birth, I believe. I don't know. I forget what that last one was. But you often will see them used as souvenirs as well. I don't know, Mike, if it's you or Zach that has like the tiny little seahorse in a baggie. Is that you? Well, it's now in a shadow box, but yes, that's me. Even better that it's in the shadow box. I don't even know where I got it, but I got it somewhere on like a vacation or somebody gave it to me. And uh, yeah, it's hanging up in my living room now as a sort of homage to my seahorse friends, to you and others. <laughs> but it's, it is strange. It's like a yeah. dead Ew. organism, a dried carcass. Right. Exactly. It's eight inches long. I think that one's a little tinier. My seahorse is about four inches long. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't get, I cannot get over the size. That is huge. Say that again. That's a great night out. (laughs) Yeah. And then one last little thing, they are kind of a prized thing to have in your aquarium as well but they're hard to care for because they like they're bottom dwellers so you need to have like things for them to anchor on to and they Mm. require a very specific temperature range in like the 70s they're not good at like adapting to quick changes in temperature or anything and they can't really be with aggressive fish because they are kind of like bottom feeders so they need to hang out with gentle fish Mm. that's my little book report on seahorses i think that's really great Should we take a break, Meredith? Yeah, let's take okay. a little break. Being a seahorse is tough. That's the truth. Only 0.5% of eggs make it to adulthood. And the environment of the coral reef poses many hazards. Crabs. Rays. Penguins. Other seabirds. And of course, 
the hazard of running into some coral and bumping your head. The coral reef is no place for concussions. That is why Brand Clubby is thrilled to introduce Hippocampus helmets. The helmet specifically made to address the needs of seahorses and sea dragons. How joyful! It's very joyful. Custom sizing is available to suit the diversity of the seahorse and sea dragon community. And of course, Brand Clubby is also introducing the Pipe Dream series of helmet for other pipe fish. How considerate of Brand Clubby to include the entire Signathidae family. And how typical for them to develop products for an entire family of noble creatures. Use code at checkout to save 15% off your next order. Pets, I wish you had also 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 I wish you had also I wish you had also met. Also I wish you had also met. So this is a very special edition of Pets I Wish You Had Also Met because I indeed really want to meet Benji in person. <laughs> I can't believe that you haven't yet. I've met I Benji know. and he's a pet that I wish you had also met, Meredith. Aww. I really can't tell you like how much I look forward to seeing him on Instagram because he's just, first of all, he's so beautiful and his face yeah. and those beautiful eyes are so expressive and he just looks like he's like looking into your soul. It's all a ruse because no he wants way. something. Yeah, he's very Brazilian. But he's Australian. <laughs> so demanding. He's Brazilian. He's very demanding. So adorable. And he's probably super smart. Those breeds are known for being like... So smart. Very intelligent. He's bilingual. Oh my goodness. I'm not. He speaks Portuguese and English. <laughs> That's amazing. Kind of kooky. Yeah. That's incredible. What was the origin story, Jesse San? Did you, you got Benji with the idea of co parenting, if I remember correctly? So Benji comes from a Brazilian home. My best friend, who now lives back in Brazil, got him with his ex husband okay. five years ago. They got separated. He had Benji alone in New York when I met him, like year two. Mm-hmm. I met Raphael and I met Benji as well. And he couldn't do the dog in that situation. He had like too many roommates and mm-hmm. he gave the dog to his family in New Jersey, his Brazilian family. Mm-hmm. So then Benji was in New Jersey. A year and a half ago, we were in the apartment I'm in now, and there are so many dogs on my floor. It's like a kennel. There's probably like <laughs> literally, <laughs> there's like six dogs. They all know each other. It's really cute. That's adorable. Oh. So I said, you know, we should do the dog. I work from home a lot. At the time I was doing Chicago and I had days really free. So it was, I was really game to do it. So we did it. And now he's been with us for like a year and a half. But now I am the American dog dad (laughs) because Rafael is in Brazil. He left in August. So now I have basically adopted this child. Oh, congratulations. He's awesome. I thought he was only like one year old or something like that. He's like probably. Oh, no, he's five. He's a big boy now. He has the boundless energy of a puppy, but the intelligence of a. Of a young man. Right. (laughs) I've had to learn Portuguese sayings to him, which is hilarious. Can you hit us with some Portuguese? Santa means sit. Oh. I'd say. Comida is food. Yum. In Spanish. Fala means talk. Oh. And he talks. Here, here I'll get him talking Oh, yes, yes, yes. Fala, Benjinho. Fala. Você, bebê? Você, Benjinho. Fala. Yeah. Hello. Fala. Shh. 
Ah, Rondinho! Você é Spanish. Right. Dogs in Germany only know German. Like, right. it makes sense, totally. you know? I've never thought about that. That's hilarious. Oh, what a sweet boy. Yeah, baby. What's up, Virginia? Oh. What's up, I just have to say, I think that he's our first non-primate animal on the podcast. Yeah. And he's chatty. He has a lot to contribute for the canids. He loves a good podcast. I told you I sent you his text books. He had specific lighting requests. I see they've been met. Well, I can't wait to meet him when we don't have to be socially distant. Anytime, I'll come take him for a walk. Anytime I'm able, I would love to. It's okay. He's the only thing keeping me sane. Having an animal is like... Amazing. I just wish I had an animal through this. That isn't Anthony. <laughs> Did you hear that the like you can't foster an animal in New York because there's like none to foster? They've you can only adopt them because so many people are fostering animals, which is amazing. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't yeah. hear that. Oh, what a beautiful silver lining in such an awful situation. That's really cool. I'm happy to go New Yorkers. Everyone is drawn to try and take care of them. It's cute. I love that. That's such fantastic news. Right on. Well, this has just been so fun. <laughs> I agree. This is a really thrilling edition of Pets I Wish You Had Also Met. Thank you for having us. I mean, anytime, just to see both of your beautiful faces. It's like amazing. Pets I wish you had also met. 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 Pets I wish you had met. Also met. Yes. Pets. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana me. Kingdom. Animalia. Animals are pretty fierce. Phylum. Cordata. Dorsal nerve cords. Actinopterygi, raffin fishes. Order. Signothid forms. Dudes take the broods. Family. Signothidae, fused jaws. Genus. Falcordurus, sea dragons. Species. Equus, the leafy sea dragon. It lives on the southern coast of Australia. Nice. Leafy sea dragon. Yeah. We're going to do some tax facts. We have the kingdom Animalia, obviously, duh. The phylum Chordata, the dorsal nerve cord. Chordates are generally vertebrates, so they have spines and a spinal cord, the dorsal nerve cord. Then the class Actinopterygii, the ray finned fishes. Yep. The majority of fish species are in this class. 
it's the, quote, dominant class of vertebrates because it has the most species of all vertebrates. Yeah. Oh. Like, of all classes of vertebrates, the ray fin fishes have the most species. Got it. The order, Signathiforms, the dudes take the broods. This is where we start to get to elongated narrowed bodies surrounded by a series of bony rings and they have the small tubular mouth this is where we get into this reversed rearing system it happens here at the order where that's something that all of these creatures have in common yeah in addition to seahorses and sea dragons we have trumpet fish cornet fish shrimp fish snipe fishes goat fishes flying gurnads and sea moths (laughs) I've seen some flying gurnads in my time. You and I both. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. There's a little bit of dispute about the classification in the order, which is fun. Then we get to the family, the fused jaws, which is funny that we both use the same tax term. And that's seahorses, pipefish, and sea dragons. The fused jaw is one thing that they all have in common. Uh Then we get to the phycodurus, the genus. So that's where we've split. That's where we split. So up to this point, like seahorses and leafy dragon fish. Is it dragonfish? Leafy sea dragon. Leafy sea dragons have been all all the same. But at the genus is where they split. Okay. Right. And within this genus, the leafy sea dragon is the only extant species. Okay. Oh, got it. So there are two other sea dragons. Okay. Okay. There's the common sea dragon... Philip Terex Taniolatus, which was described in 1804, okay? And then the ruby sea dragon, which is in the same genus, Phylopteryx dewey which was described in 2015. So until 2015, there were only two known species of sea dragons. Now there are three known species of sea dragons. Whoa. Whoa. Cool. Yeah, it turns out that the attempt to classify... Sea dragons has really dragged on over <laughs> several hundred years. Good one. They are cousins to the seahorse? Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. They're in the same family. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of perfect. That's the common point that they have in the taxonomic rank. Got it. Which, by the way, Jesse, I just have to say that us deciding to really lean into this taxonomy thing has taught me so much about (laughs) creatures and the classification and the systems. Like our hoofed friends are in the class Artiodactyla, Artiodactyla squad, like giraffes and deer and pigs and cows, the bovidae. Mm -hmm. And then... And then there's the parasodactyla, like horses, actual land horses. They walk on one finger. And rhinos, too, they're up on one finger. Can you even believe wow. it? Benji walks on his nails. He taps along the uh, the wood floor. It's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. He's experimenting with the digitigrade light. Can you hear yeah. it? Yeah, I don't know if you hear. Let me, let me throw the thing again. It's really funny. Hear him click around. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we heard him click. He's on top of his little paws. Very cute. In the biz, we call that detigigrade. He's up on his digits. He's a tap dancer. Uh, Oh, naturally. The thing is, is that you know about this sea dragon and you've seen it before because what it essentially looks like is a sort of seahorse that has donned a showgirl plumage (laughs) 
feather <laughs> moment. Yes. You know what I mean? I know. Where it exactly kind of has stalks sticking off of itself, all over itself, and it <laughs> looks like a piece of seaweed. Yeah. These leaf-like protrusions. I did notice this about the pipefish and all of the fish that are kind of related, that they're very good at mimicking just seaweed. It's kind of crazy. Like some species just look like floating seaweed, but they've got like, if you look really close, they've got like that little characteristic snout. But these guys are the same, just the adaptation, the visual adaptations to look exactly like the vegetation that they live amidst. Right. It's crazy. This brings us to how they move. Okay. The answer is slowly. (laughs) Individuals have been observed just hanging out in the same location for up to 68 hours. Wow. Which is part of the thing. It just looks like a floating piece of seaweed. So if it moves very fast, it's going to kind of stand out in the crowd. Mm -hmm. One individual was tracked at moving 490 feet per hour, which raises a lot of question about the data collection method. (laughs) It has fins on the side of its head to steer and turn. Okay. Mm. And then it has a pectoral fin Mm. on the ridge of its neck and then a dorsal fin at the back closer to the tail like in the tramp stamp region tramp stamp fin those are pretty much completely transparent and very hard to see as they undulate minutely (laughs) which is part of this seaweed camouflage because if you saw like there's a piece of seaweed with a ray fin then you're gonna know that it's a ray fin fish and not a seaweed you know so if they're means of locomotion is transparent, then you're less likely to see it. Right. That makes sense. They're native to the southern and western coast of Australia. I've been to their area. Well, that's the question. Did Jesse see any sea dragons while in Sydney? The answer is no. He did not (laughs) in the wild. But if he had gone to Melbourne, 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 or Adelaide, Adelaide, or Perth, he may have. Ah. Chicago the Musical did go to both Melbourne and Adelaide. That's because they're warmer, correct? It's warmer climates. Um, because they are. You know, that's a good question. I, I sure that sounds likely. I feel like the Great Barrier <laughs> Reef is kind of off the east coast of Australia. Yeah, I think you're right. That I don't know. I did not visit it, but I can tell you that Sydney was by far the coldest. I was there at winter time, so. Oh, sure. She yeah. was cold. I believe that. And then Brizzy, if you go to Brisbane, you're not going to find any sea dragons either. I don't claim to know much about the climate of Australia, but I do know that it's scary. And that I thought Melbourne was <laughs> at a different place than where it is when I looked at a map of Australia. So I learned something new about geography. Melbourne is south, correct? Of Sydney. It's southwest. Yes. It's actually, well, I actually, I'm not sure that it's south, but it's definitely west. Hmm. I think it's actually a little bit north, further north, which would be why it's warmer. It's closer to the equator. Mm. Correct. It is the opposite of where we live. That's all I can tell you. It's (laughs) (laughs) in every way, shape and form. I believe that. So these guys aren't quite as big as your common seahorses. They're about eight to nine and a half inches long. Okay. Oh, okay. Which is still, you know, that's still a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. They can change color, but that depends on their diet, age, location, and stress level. Oh. I know. Poor little stressed sea dragons. I know. I don't like thinking about them being stressed out. They shouldn't have a worry in the world. They're not stressed now. No one's in the ocean. I know. That's great. They're probably loving life right now. Yeah. Probably bright and... (laughs) That's the sound of an unstressed seahorse or sea dragon. (laughs) 
So they eat in the same way because their jaws fused. So they're just kind of like a little mini vacuum. Uh And they suck up small crustaceans like planktons and amphipods and mycid shrimp. Yeah. And they'll also eat a larval fish. Yeah. So I think this speaks to the 5% survive situation is that there's just 0.5% of 1%. Oh, half of 1%. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Low odds. Yeah. There's just so many things that can eat you in the ocean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some say eat or be eaten. Well, they said something about like the delicate bodies just being so susceptible. Like they do have delicate bodies. I just want to confirm the sea dragon the cousin of the seahorse. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are we just comparing them to contrast in the same genus or no? Well, it's the same family. Generally, Meredith and I both present a creature that's unrelated, but we're heavily oh. focused on the seahorse for this particular episode. Ah, so you're giving us another example of a sea creature yes. in the same family yes. versus two differing creatures. Yes. Right. We were talking a few weeks ago about we didn't quite know where seahorses fit in. And I think Uh, that, Meredith, it seemed like we were both unsure of, are they crustaceans? Are they... Yeah, I didn't know. What are they? And turns out they're (laughs) ray-finned fishes, which is a revelation. Yeah, Uh, didn't realize that. And so I think that's what set Meredith off on this seahorse journey. And then we've talked about having you on the episode for a while. And I knew that it would be seahorses and sea dragons. And so that's where we're going. <laughs> Got it. So wait, this they're fishes, meaning they cannot survive out of water. Right. Yeah. Do they have gills? They do have gills. Mm-hmm. They have gills. Yeah. Great question. Where are the gills located in comparison to the chest fin? I think the gills are kind of in the same, like, similar to, you know, like a goldfish. It's going to be up, like, around... Well, it's just interesting because they actually have a lot of fins, if you think about it. Well, yeah, I guess the sea dragons, they're very finned up, it seems. I like the idea of showgirl plumage. (laughs) Here, I found an image of the seahorse. Fun facts about seahorses. The gill is right behind their eye, kind of on their horse face. Hey. Their pectoral fin is like way up there too, which feels a little weird. Yeah. And then the anal fin is in the front. (laughs) Girl. Right above the brood pouch. Above the egg pouch? Yes. Interesting. I would have thought the butthole would be below the egg pouch. Silly me. Not for this fish. (laughs) Seahorse anatomy is different. It sure is. They have like a a cheek spine. They have a keel. They have trunk rings. (laughs) They have gill openings. They have a lateral trunk ring. They have a rectangular bony plate. (laughs) Kind of a journey. I'm really glad we figured out where the gills were. Oh, sis, if you want to get into it, you should look at a diagram of different (laughs) fins. My favorite are the ventral fins. So your ventral side is your front. So I would say that all of your hours at the gym have led you to possess a very well-developed and chiseled ventral ventral surface. Yeah. Hmm. So then your ventral fins are down by your hip. I have to stand up mm. to do this. They're like your fossy fins. Look. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> That's where the ventral Ha-cha. fins are. Whoopee. I love fossy fins. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Meredith, if you love fossy fins, then you're really going to love hearing about the mating of the sea dragon. I can't wait. <laughs> so the lady produces up to 250 eggs, and they are bright pink. <gasps> 
And she uses her ovipositor to deposit them not into an egg pouch, but onto the male's tail. Oh, very different. It's very different. And the eggs attach themselves to a brood patch. Okay. Instead of a brood pouch. Got it. And that supplies oxygen to the eggs. Whoa. Weird. Like a sticky pouch? Sticky pad? (laughs) I didn't really read anything about the exact mechanism of the brood patch. Is it like Velcro? Seems like it. Maybe some sort of mucus Velcro, some proprietary sea dragon mucus Velcro. (laughs) Whoa. It is impressive, though, that there's no protection for that egg. It's just waving in the wind. Yeah, it seems that way. Right. Sea wind, excuse me. Sea wind. Currents, I think (laughs) they're called. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) But if you look at the leafy sea dragon, it kind of has this, you know, showgirl plumage around itself. That kind of gives a sort of social distance vibe to it. (laughs) Way to make it current. Wait, so speaking of, where is the where is the sticky landing gear in relation to the plumage? Back or front? It says it's on the tail, so that would back. be the kind of back side, yeah. Got it. I don't know if it's on the underside of the tail or like the ventral side of the tail, the dorsal side of the tail, I don't know. Still, that's interesting. So we can't really see its little creatures. They're hidden. You know, it just looks like a piece of floating seaweed. Got it. After about nine weeks, the eggs ripen and they turn from bright pink into a purple or orange. Mm. And then the male will pump his tail until the young emerge, (laughs) which can take 24 to 48 hours. Okay. (laughs) Wow. Pump away. Pumping away. You better pump that tail, girl. 48 hours, though. That's a lot of pumps. Those are a lot of pumps. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. Babies will eat zooplankton until they're big enough to hunt mycids, whatever the fuck that means. And then only about 5% of the eggs will survive. So that's a better survival rate than your common seahorse. Yeah. Better survival rate, but lower amount of babies. Right. Up to 250. He's only throwing out 250 on that sticky wicket. It is a sticky wicket. Ew. I don't trust that it doesn't have any type of like womb. It is weird. It's very weird. You don't like the lack of womb? I don't mind it, but it doesn't sound particularly safe. It seems to work for him though, you know? Yeah, they're still around. Well, right. 5%. <laughs> yeah. Not really that many. Five of two fifty. Well, I guess if you're if you're adverse to this lack of a womb, then how do you feel about lizards and birds and other creatures that lay eggs in a nest? Is like a nest like a sort of womb? That's the womb. A meadow womb. Yeah, that's the womb. I'm talking about like protection. He's just letting them out there until they turn a different yep. color. It seems very odd. It is kind of one of those like trust systems. You know, it's like if you leave a valuable thing out in a public place and just kind of like trust that it'll be there when you come back. That is kind of the modus operandi of the male sea dragon. He's like, I'm just going to leave these back here. I'm just trust that no one's going to get at them. But then maybe the male becomes the nest. So then the male becomes this sort of like meta womb situation. Yes. Yeah. A male meta womb. Very progressive. Yeah. 
It's all very progressive. Even the seahorse is progressive. Yes. We could learn a thing or two from them. Like your common seahorse, they're difficult to maintain in aquariums Mm -hmm. and can be a bit of a showpiece. I feel like there was one in like the aquarium in the Ace Ventura movie or something (laughs) like that. You know what I mean? I feel like it's an iconic thing to see in an aquarium as like a sign of, oh, this person's like into the illegal animal trade and has a lot of money. Yeah. Says all of that. Just showing that one creature. Yeah. Because they can cost 10 to $15,000. Holy shit. Because they're protected by laws and you need your leafy sea dragon to have papers and everything. (laughs) Boy, do you. And then the last thing that I have is famous leafy sea dragons. Of history. Gavin, who's a leafy sea dragon. (laughs) Gavin. Yes, an animated leafy sea dragon, the star of The Amazing Adventures of Gavin, a leafy sea dragon. It's a 2006 animated short film that was sort of like a conservation education effort in South Australia. That's super cute. It's like Jeremy the Snail. Yeah. It was made through a collaboration of the People's Republic of Animation. (laughs) PRA. Waterline Productions and the SA Film Corporation. Gavin. Yeah, it's meant to be for like 8 to 12-year-olds in Australia so that they can learn about conserving the sea. And I guess Gavin it was a relatable name for 8 to 12-year-olds in the year 2006. I, that checks out. In Australia. That checks out. <laughs> That's the extent of my sea dragon information. Do either of you have any sea dragon questions, queries, concerns, or traumas? Definitely no traumas. I feel very satiated by the sea dragon. Yeah, it was a very good counterpoint, as you said yesterday, Mike. (laughs) You're like, I'll do the sea dragon as a counterpoint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just had to know. I just had to know more information about the sea dragon. We're going to Venn diagram these guys. Seems like the sea horse and the sea dragon, the intercees of the circle would be like what they eat and kind of the shape of their mouth and other little things like that. And also daddy holding the babies. Dude broods. Dude takes the brood. Dude takes the brood. That is so funny. I know I say this every episode that I want a t-shirt with something on it, but I would love like a pregnant seahorse image. Man. And it says dudes take the broods. People are just like, what the fuck? That would be very funny. Uh, break time? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a break. Okay. When that walrus impaled me with his tusk, I knew who I could trust. When that tiger mauled me with their claws, I knew who I could call. When that condor assaulted me with her cause, I knew I must... Call Bovi Day, Anura, and Marmot. You can count on us, Bovi Day, Anura, and Marmot, and our skilled stampede of apex lawyers. We're ready to take on your apex predators. Don't settle for less than you deserve. Call us today to receive cash, lost wages, alimony, and quiet animal dignity. We've battled the finest lawyers in the kingdom Animalia, including the Elephant Esquires and Badger Barristers. Don't worry. We let the marmots carry the briefcases. Call 888-888-8888 today. What's that smell? I think it's some old-fashioned oats. Ooh, we haven't been in that kind of oat situation before. Well, it Meredith, I did some research at the grocery store, and it turns out old-fashioned oats take five minutes to make, and fast oats take one minute to make, so I've generally been in an old-fashioned oats situation over here. I hear that. 
I hear that. Steel-cut oats take even longer. That's true. But I guess all this oat talk means that we've made it into the feed bag. That seems to be an accurate statement, Meredith. Do you do you want to kick it off in the feedback today? Yeah. So we've got Sally from Alberta asks, how do I deal with creature cravings that I just can't satisfy during times of quarantine? And by creature cravings, Sally, I'm going to assume you mean like creature encounters, not so much like creature cravings, like you want to eat these creatures. Sure. So I'll just go with the former. And I'll tell you what I do. I do an animal podcast to satisfy my creature cravings. And sometimes I tune into the Cincinnati Zoo virtual safari to learn about specific creatures. Uh, what do you guys do to satisfy your creature cravings during these times of quarantine? I mean, Jesse, we know you've got a beautiful doggy to play with. I have a creature. My cravings are minimal. You're at a general, always satiated level of creature craving. If anything, I could use someone else to walk him every once in a while. Oh my God. If I could, I would. Um, Mike? I am struggling with my creature cravings. I think it was last week on the feedback. It was the, what's the last creature that you had the privilege of petting? Yeah. And I couldn't come up with an answer, which is still upsetting to me if I'm honest. I've been struggling, but, you know, I also do an animal podcast. I've been watching a lot of Curiosity Stream, like I said, about, like, this sort of prehistoric period. I'm trying to really wrap my head around that. Yeah. And I've been embracing this sort of ancient extinct animal experience and learning about things like the Permian period and, you know, mass extinction events and all those types of things. That's been interesting because, like I said, with all this taxonomy stuff, it's like we're learning things, you know? I'm asking myself questions like, is the reason that the aardvark is the only extant species of this funky tooth situation? Tubula dentata. The tubula dentata. Is it because they don't even use their teeth? And so these teeth are actually really not advantageous evolutionarily, but because they're just eating ants all day and they're not chewing, they're letting their stomach do all the business and there's see some, like, is that what's going on? So I just kind of am <laughs> lost in those sorts of thoughts. And that's how I'm surviving this moment. That sounds like a very active line of inquiry, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, I feel very active. Activo, if you will. I guess there's no easy way to like summarize all of that other than that for some of us, the creature satisfaction is higher than others. And I guess that is our official position. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. We have mate pair feet upon. Oh. This is from Sheila in Nebraska. And Sheila presents the carnivora edition. We have the panda, the hyena, and the red wolf. Mate pair feet upon. Oh, wow. Panda, hyena, and red wolf. I definitely would mate with the panda. They're the most beautiful animal. They are. And there was that video released recently of the pandas in the zoo. Now that nobody's there, pandas are getting down to business. Yeah, I think I would pair with the panda because I would love to spend my, you know, quiet life just being all roly-poly, eating a bunch of bamboo all day. They just kind of seem like real gentle, cuddly, peaceful. They're not vicious or anything like that. Whereas the hyena, I think, is kind of obnoxious. Super obnoxious. So I'd either want to kill them or like hit it and quit it. But I think, ooh. 
Yeah, I would think I would eat the hyena. Yeah, I would definitely eat feed upon the hyena because, like, I don't want to have a conversation with it, and I don't need it laughing at me, you know, no. during our period of mating. No, I'm just gonna get really self-conscious. I'm like, what are you? Are you laughing at my body? Get out of here, you fuckface. Yeah, hyenas are kind of weird looking, too. The feliforms, they're kind of cat-like. Yeah, but they're, ugh. Weird hunchy backs. Yeah, <laughs> hunchy backs. So I guess I would mate with the red wolf. Yeah. Because I bet that would be, like, a very, like, powerful experience. There's no way that I'm not pairing with the red wolf. Oh, you're going to pair with the red wolf. I'm spending the rest of my days just running in the wilderness, living that Canis Rufus life. Yep. Just thriving. I see that. I see that. I see that for you in particular. So my fish position is that I'm going to mate with the panda, I'm going to pair with the red wolf, and I'm going to feed upon the hyena. Yeah. I'm the same except swap panda and red wolf. Mate with the red wolf, pair with the panda. Feed upon the hyena. What about you, seahorse? I would kill the hyena, mate with the red wolf, pair with the panda. We're in agreement. We are in agreement. All right. Yeah, and I'm just over here living my lone Canis Rufus existence. Perfect for you. I love this for you. Thanks. Well, a fish position. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, and then we have like a quick one from Marion in Columbus. She wants us to come up with terms of venery for the following animals. So terms of venery are like what you refer to a group of these animals. So like a classic example is like a pack of wolves or a murder of crows. So and she says, if you know the real one, don't. She says, come up with something different. Okay. Here's the first one. What would we call a group of Rufus horseshoe bats? Are they Chinese Rufus horseshoe bats or just regular horseshoe bats, Rufus horseshoe bats? Let's just go with the latter. Okay, just like a typical, you know, no country, no nation state affiliation right. Rufus horseshoe bat. Right. So what would we call a group of Rufus horseshoe bats? A pack of bats? A pack? Okay. Mike? A scarlet wing of bats. I would say a box set. I love it. What do we call a group of herons? A Sharon of herons. I would say a slick of herons because herons look like they have slicked back hair. So I would say a slick of herons. A school? A school of herons. They do look very intelligent and smart. Okay. And then finally, we've got otters. What would we call a group of otters? I'm just going to go ahead and say mine. A clown car. It's a clown car of otters because they're so goofy. (laughs) They're very goofy. I just imagine like a pot of wet noodles. Ew. So a a wet noodle pot of otters? I think I'm going to say a spaghetti of otters. That's very cute. I was going to say a pot of otters. Pot of otters. Otter pod. Otter pod. That's very good. That's very like succinct. Otter pod. (laughs) Yeah, I guess... That's our fish position. A fish position. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. All right. Uh, so, uh, Jesse, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, this has been such a treat. And Benji. And Benji. Do you want people to find you on the internet? How do people find you on the internet? Do they want to follow you? I'm on Instagram. My name, Jesse Kissel. And my website is now jessekissel.com. Oh. Yes. Very exciting. It, does Benji have his own social media presence? You know, he doesn't, but in this quarantine time, I've been thinking about creating one. Oh, I would be the first follower. <laughs> first and proudest. <laughs> He's gorgeous. I'll let him know. Yes. Please let him know. Wait, come here. Come here. Come up. Come say bye to them. Oh, buddy. Say bye. Oh. 
Bye, Benji. Benji. Bye, Benji. Benji. What's up, Benji? What's up, baby? Yeah, Benji. Fala, Benji. Fala. Okay. Goodbye to your listeners. Right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having us. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of the Animal Fan Club.